Oh, it's wonderful. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning and to be able to share God's word with you. Thank you for the prayers and encouragement. Today, we are going to talk about the two greatest commandments. Love God, love neighbor, love self. The biblical passage that we're going to look at this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. Matthew shares with us that as Jesus is teaching in the temple, he is asked by a teacher of the law a seemingly simple question. What, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Although this is only four short verses, what we read here conveys for us eternal truths that are foundational to our faith and relationship with God, each other, and ourselves. We hear these words throughout Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament. Jesus emphasizes these truths by saying there are no commandments greater than these. We fulfill all the commandments, everything that God calls us to do and be in these two commands. As you can imagine, this was a bold claim Jesus was making. At this particular time in the history of God's people, they had hundreds of written and oral laws that they would strive to keep in order to be close to and right with God. And yet, without hesitation, Jesus responds to this question with these two commandments. First and foremost, love God. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Causing the people who were listening to stop, pause, and not ask any more questions. And since that day, many have continued to ask this question, and many have paused at Jesus' answer. At first glance, this seems simple, maybe too simple. Love God, love neighbor, love self. Yet, knowing these eternal truths with our mind and heart, and living them out? Well, the history of God's people, including our present time, seems to indicate that maybe these two, two commandments aren't simple at all, and can in fact be very, very hard to practice as the foundation of our lives in mind, body, and soul. Something I've always found fascinating about Jesus' answer to this question is how he names God, self, and others, but doesn't say there are three commandments. He puts the love of God first, and then the love of ourselves and neighbor together in the same command. 
In my readings on this passage, many noted that Jesus didn't give us three commands because he's assuming that we already know how to love ourselves. In essence, this analysis points to what we all share in common as human beings. We love ourselves in the sense that we strive to take care of our own needs for survival, rendering loving ourselves as more of a fact than a command. Although I understand this analysis for self-love, I wrestle with this assumption. Not sure if I believe that Jesus would assume something so significant as the second greatest commandment. Rather, I believe Jesus is very intentional in thought, word, and deed, and contemplating my own life as well as those I've pastored as we look around at the world we live in right now, I find myself asking, can we assume that we know how to love ourselves? Is Jesus simply asking us here to take care of our needs and then to take care of the needs of others? This is certainly a form of love, but I wonder if Jesus is inviting us to something deeper here. Inviting us to connect ourselves to love itself for God is love, and then to reflect this love to our neighbors, the very love we're made to experience. Yet, like many of my readings on this passage, often when we go to these verses and try and understand these commandments, we tend to bypass and gloss over Jesus' charge to love ourselves, perhaps making our own assumptions about self-love and its application in our lives and walk of faith. As one writer noted, it's not easy to love oneself. We measure ourselves against others. We view our lives in comparison of what they have and what we don't. We allow our minds to fill not with God and God's love, but with jealousy, worry, and hurts. When we stop and reflect on how we love ourselves, and how we interact with the human family, our patterns become obvious, maybe a bit too painfully obvious. Growing up, I was blessed to live in a home with a lot of love. We were not perfect. There were plenty of challenges and dysfunction in our small family of five. Yet through it all, one thing remained true and foundational. We knew we were loved by each other and by God. This familiar image was framed and hung in our house for many years, and I laugh because it literally looks like my younger brother, so we teased him a lot about that. Anyways, I know I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. Although these words were instilled in me at a young age and have helped to shape me, as I got older, this truth seemed to move further and further away from my center of gravity. As I get older, it's my weaknesses, insecurities, brokenness, frailties, and sin that often have a stronger grip on my heart, causing me to say, think, and even treat myself in ways that are anything but loving. If we pause for just a moment to consider the ways we engage with ourselves on a daily basis, 
not putting God and neighbor aside, but taking a moment to reflect on our relationship with ourselves, which Jesus is asking us to do, it's probably pretty shocking. The overwhelming amount of negative self-talk, thoughts, doubts, and perceptions we are burdened with, the things that we say, think, and do to ourselves that we would never repeat or want to intentionally say, think, or do to another person, especially someone we loved. And this is an important marker. When you notice yourself telling yourself you're not enough and directing these negative thoughts and feelings towards yourself, take a moment and pause and ask, would I say this to my best friend? And if not, then we don't want to be saying it to ourselves either. Now, in fairness, our brains are prone and even drawn to what is negative. We cannot fully escape the negative thoughts that stream through our mind at any given time. And maybe this is why it's a command, because it's not something that comes naturally to us. We have to be intentional about self-care and compassion. Okay, we're going to unpack that a bit more in a bit. But first, maybe you're tracking with this, but you still find there's a little voice in your head that keeps saying, but Pastor Carrie, what about this idea of dying to self that we read throughout Scripture? Yes, let's talk about that. I think, this is, I think this is exactly what Jesus is saying in our passage by keeping us all deeply intertwined. Jesus embodies these commandments, taking time throughout his life and ministry for self-care and compassion. Rest, solitude, prayer, always going to his Father first. He completely emptied himself to live among us and to serve his neighbor, not using his identity, divinity, to save himself. Being God and yet never choosing to do this life alone and on his terms. Dying to self means we are not made to go it alone, to do things on our terms, to be our own God. We are made for communion, fellowship, and connection with God, each other, and ourselves, made to be deeply intertwined. God does not separate us out from the two greatest commandments because he simply thinks and assumes we know how to love ourselves. Rather, he keeps us intertwined and anchored to the God of the universe and to each other, for a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Dying to self does not mean beating yourself up, focusing on your sin and failures, living with the heavy burdens of shame, guilt, and self-doubt, and being consumed, even overcome, by your negative self-thoughts. This is not of God. This is not how God sees you. Jesus made sure of that. This is not the love God is asking us to reflect to our neighbors.
In our world today, in the church and in our own lives, this cord of three strands may seem very torn and frayed. Perhaps in some cases, we may say it has been broken. Love doesn't negate what is dark, evil, and wrong, or live with rose-colored glasses, so to speak. We can plainly see that our world and those who live in it are divided, polarized, experiencing oppression, suffering beyond our comprehension, and hate. We see this on a global scale and recognize it playing out in our own lives, body, mind, and soul. Humanity desperately needs to hear and experience the good news. But even as the church, we let this negative self-talk color and shape our relationships, not only with ourselves, but with God and others. The messages that we are unworthy and undeserving, we sing it, we pray it, and we share it, solidifying this idea that in our humanity, we are beings that need to be fixed before we can be loved. That's not good news for anyone. Now, we don't negate what is ugly and dark within the world or within ourselves. But that is not the whole story. That's not God's story. Not for me, not for you, not for humanity. The whole story has been and always will be love, solidified on the cross, where God in Jesus says, you are worthy and are forever intertwined and held by love itself. And that will never change. That's good news. God loves you right now, exactly as even if you're finding it hard to love yourself. I'd like to invite us to pause again for a moment and consider a world and a church where we saw and treated each other as image bearers of love. Rather than let our sin and dirt, grime and messiness, that often for us defines our lives, who we are and how we interact with others, what if we saw ourselves and each other with God's eyes? Each human being on planet Earth has been and always will be created in the image of love. And this connects us in what Henry Nouwen calls our human sameness. I absolutely love this Instagram post. All of you put your name there, and all of your neighbors, and our whole world, all created in the image of love. This is the lens of love that Jesus is commanding in the second greatest commandment. The same love we are commanded to give to God first and then to others has already been given to you. This is not something God bypassed or glossed over. No, God don't make no junk. And God, as he put you together in your mother's womb, you were given the most loving name. Beloved, God doesn't see negative. 
God sees love and promises that nothing can separate you from this love. Henry Nouwen gives us a beautiful picture of what this looks like, writing, I know now that the words spoken to Jesus when he was baptized, God's voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. These are words spoken also to me and to all who are brothers and sisters of Jesus. My tendencies towards self-rejection and self-deprecation make it hard to hear these words truly and let them descend into the center of my heart. But once I have received these words fully, I am set free from my compulsion to prove myself to the world and can live in it without belonging to it. Once I have accepted the truth that I am God's beloved child, unconditionally loved, I can be sent into the world to speak and to act as Jesus did. Amen. As I've been learning to practice self-love in my own life, which has been a very challenging journey for me, one of the images that Jesus keeps bringing to me is that of an oxygen mask. Like the kind you see on an airplane that drops from the ceiling if the oxygen levels change. And what do the attendants always tell us to do? Put your own mask on first. Because if you don't, you won't be able to help or save yourself or anyone else, let alone the child that may be sitting on your lap or the loved one next to you. In our everyday lives, putting on your own mask first can feel impossible at times. This is not easy. Yet I do think it's what Jesus is pointing us to in the greatest commandment. He says, go to God first as your whole self, which means go to him at any given moment exactly as you are. Put on your mask, the breath of life. Let him be your center of gravity and allow his love to seep into every fiber of your being. Then we meet our neighbor from this place and invite our neighbor to this space. This true love is the most powerful transforming energy we have within us. It's all around us, goes before us and behind us creating more internal capacity with our heart and mind and soul to hold our own as well as others' realities and vulnerabilities, finding ourselves deeply intertwined with our Creator and Beloved. This world, this life, humanity matters and is valued by God. Your life your humanity, you matter and are valued by God. In choosing to make his entrance in such an ordinary way, God showed us that flesh and blood, dirt and sky, life and death were good enough for him. More than that, he hallowed them, made them holy by taking part in them, and left nothing on earth that we can dismiss as trivial or unknown to him. That includes you. Now, if you find yourself overcome 
with negative thoughts that are preventing you from living in a healthy way, please know there is help. Wonderful professional counselors who can help you with strategies to fight that bully in your brain. Please reach out and ask for help. Talk to me, talk to River Park Church, we will connect you with someone. And if you're looking for calm spaces of connection with God, each other, and ourselves, then of course I'm going to invite you to um, journey with us at Reclaim, where we provide practices and have conversations about the love we're talking about this morning. And you can find all those links on the River Park Church website. Truly, this has become the heart um, God's call on my life and the heart of our work. I think about this stuff all the time because it's part of my own journey of fighting the bully in my brain. And if you've been tracking with us at Reclaim, you've probably heard me say a lot of this before. Because my daily prayer is that our practices may be a blessing on your journey to seeing yourself as beloved and experiencing your belovedness so that we can cultivate the courage to share this with our neighbors and our world who is waiting to know and experience their belovedness. May we go now with this lens of love, loving God, loving neighbor, as we love ourselves. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, you called us from the sleep of nothingness merely because in your tremendous love you wanted to make good and beautiful things, good and beautiful beings. You have called each of us by name in our mother's womb. You have given us breath and light and movement and walked with us every moment of our existence. We are amazed, Lord God, of the universe that you attend to us and more cherish us. Create in us the faithfulness that moves you, and we will trust you and yearn for you for all of our days. Amen.